Hey, y'all, Pastor Emil here with another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is far sweeter. And uh, church is pretty sweet. And being a pastor is pretty sweet. Being a part of a congregation can be really sweet. There's a lot of benefits. Sometimes that goes south, though. And so being a part of a healthy church in a healthy community and healthy leadership is far, far sweeter. And that's what we're here to talk about today. I've got Brother David Rodriguez is back, and we are going to take some time to go through some things on spiritual abuse. He has a course that he actually teaches with Koinonia Bible College on understanding spiritual abuse. And, uh, we're going to take some of the things out of that course and talk about it here uh, over who knows how many weeks. We're just going to keep talking about this because it is so important. Uh, I was telling uh, Brother David here earlier about a post I saw from Tim Keller recently. It's a post where he kind of talks about, uh, you know, tell me about the God you've rejected, the God you don't believe in, and chances are I don't believe in that God either. And I think that's really what's going on. Most people are rejecting a God. They're rejecting a Christianity that is false, mm-hmm. and it's one that we reject also. Right. Uh, and and I think we just got to help them see that even if they've experienced it through people that claim to follow Jesus or represent Jesus as pastors uh, or even churches that are organized and have the name Christian in it somewhere, that doesn't necessarily mean they got it right. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Uh, in fact, what uh, one of the things we talked about earlier, you mentioned, and you can talk more about it, is the idea that anywhere there is potential power or leverage to manipulate people, uh, there is going to be abuse. Mm-hmm. And God, Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, just provides an avenue for people to abuse people in a way that nothing else I mean it is really the the strongest most powerful method for abuse and that's why in some ways the critiques of Christianity and religion out there in the world are valid because there are people messing with it and and misusing it uh but it's not what Jesus is really all about and I'm just thankful to have you here so that we can dig deeper into this because it's important it's good to be here. Thanks for having me back. Well, so what uh, – you can come back as many times as you want. We're going to talk about this until we're blue in the face. All <laughs> okay. right. Okay. Uh, talk a little bit. You said, hey, let's uh, talk a little bit just about spiritual abuse, why it's a thing, why it's important to, to talk about this, how prevalent it is. All right. Well – you know, I was here before, and we talked a little bit about the definition of abuse, but just by way of review, abuse occurs when one has power over another and uses that power to hurt. So power itself is not abusive. If power itself was abusive, God would be the ultimate abuser because he has ultimate power. And That's actually what some people, yeah, the way they characterize God. But spiritual abuse is the misuse of God-given power. And the verse there is 2 Corinthians 10.8, where Paul said, Though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us for your edification and not for your destruction, 
I should not be ashamed. So in that one verse, we have the two alternate uses, opposite uses, not just of authority, but of God-given authority. Hmm. He said, I can either build you up or I can destroy you. In the Greek, that, that's apoluo. It means to tear down. So it's important to see. If, if you have a pastor who says, listen, God gave me my power, don't argue with him. Uh, what we want to know is what are you doing with the power God gave you? Because even God-given power can be misused. Uh, I would ask, can a, can a police officer who has power, he has authority to arrest, can a police officer arrest an innocent person knowing he's innocent? Sure. Now, it's a misuse of his authority, and hopefully he'll be held accountable for that. But, but a police officer can shoot an innocent person knowing they're innocent because he has the power to do it. So what we're talking about here is not just having power. We, we're not, we're not uh, uh, antinomianisms, <laughs> antinomianism. Mm. Uh, we're not, um, oh, what, what's the, the term Etta uh, Goldman was? Uh, they're just against all authority. We're mm. not against authority at all. We believe in authority. We believe in strong authority. But it must be properly used. And so when we talk about spiritual abuse, we're talking about not, not power, but the misuse of God-given power. God-given power. So that, that's what we're dealing with here. Um, so once we understand that, spiritual abuse, uh, what it is, then I think it's important that we try to determine specifically what is spiritual abuse? And I have here listed uh, 12 characteristics of abusive churches. And we can begin to talk about some of these things. Because um, we say this, if it looks like a duck, smells like a duck, walks like a duck, and sounds like a duck, what? It's a duck. It's a duck. And when I teach this course, Characteristics of Abusive Churches, I, I don't have any church in mind. Uh, spiritual abuse cuts across all denominational spectrums. Absolutely. It, it, it's found everywhere. It's found in Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, anywhere there, uh, the lesser cults, of course, anywhere that the people are willing to leverage the power they have to exploit others to get other people to do what's in their best interest rather than the best interest of the people. So we can start talking about this, the characteristics of abusive churches, and this is what it looks like. This is what, it, this is what the writer of Hebrews does, right? In Hebrews 11, he begins with a definition of faith, but then he goes on listing person after person, and what he's doing there is this is what faith looks like. This is a picture of it. This is a portrait of it. So um, just briefly before you go into some of these mm-hmm. characteristics, is this something that's – it seems like this isn't just true of churches. Oh, no, absolutely not. Businesses, families. So in, in a sense, this is a potential resource for anyone to identify where they are in an unhealthy system, whether that be a family, a business uh, – some kind of uh, civic organization or anything, right? I mean, this is not just about churches. This is wherever power is, people are going to use it in ways that are healthy and unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the term term we use is toxic. Uh, there are workplaces that are toxic. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, systems that are to- family systems that are toxic, and and what that simply means is, if you're in such a thing, if you're in such a system, it'll make you sick. Mm. It, it it'll hurt you. It it'll be detrimental to you. And unfortunately, there, there are many churches that that have this sort of thing. And again, when we talk about spiritual abuse, we we can't neatly divide churches into two categories. Yeah. Yeah. Everything on this side is completely healthy. Everything over here is completely abusive. That, that's not never the case. We're talking about a, a gradation. Mm. In other words, some some abusive churches have some good qualities, and some healthy churches have some abusive tendencies. So, so it's more of a broad spectrum, and it's just a question of degree. But the examples that we're going to be using um, tend to fall toward the the heavier side, in other words, that mm. tend to use the worst examples because this is what it looks like, while acknowledging that there are churches that may have some of these things. I mean, if you're going to leave a church because it's not perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm not perfect, so exactly. I guess everyone should leave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But even though no church is perfect, some churches will help you to get better. Yeah. In, in the pastoral epistles, Paul says, speak to things that concern sound doctrine in, in Titus 2.1. And that word sound is the translation of the Greek word hugenos, which gives us our word for hygiene. Hmm. So there's a teaching that is healthy. And, and we know it's healthy because you get better when you submit to that teaching. Then later on, he mentions people whose word does eat as a canker worm. And and that, that, that Greek term gives us our word for gangrene. Mm. So bad teaching makes you sick. Healthy teaching makes you better. So what uh, – you know, this question came up. I was thinking about it just while you were talking. How, how do you – if you're a leader, right, how do you become healthy or, or how is it that a leader – is more likely to be uh, on that healthy side. You know, again, it's a scale, and we all have some unhealthy things. But, but what is it? What helps people understand how to develop healthy leadership? The word is yeah. teaching. It's a question of what you have been taught. Okay. And you have to accept it. If you accept healthy teaching, you get better. But some people are raised in systems where the teaching is not healthy. And uh, the term I was looking for just a minute ago, Emma Goldman, is anarchist, uh, the people who reject all authority. And and that's not us. We're we're not doing that. I believe in authority. I believe in strong authority. But when a person absorbs the teaching, uh, they'll they'll get better or worse depending on whether the teaching is true or false. It's really that simple. And uh, Paul says to the Romans, uh, but, but God be thanked, you were the slaves of sin, but you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine that was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So what Paul is saying there is, yeah, you were in a bad way, but you got good teaching, you obeyed it from the heart, and you changed from the better. So that, that's what we're talking about. You know, I'm convinced also, and we mentioned this last time, some people do spiritual abuse not because they're mean, uh, but because that's the way they were taught. Yeah. 
They yep. grew up in those systems, and, and the systems themselves can inculcate that into, into the people. And, and one of the things that you've mentioned a few times now, uh, not today in the podcast, but I've heard you mention this, it works, right? And so our our culture values what works. <laughs> what's, right, what's, it doesn't value necessarily the way of Jesus and the use of authority, the way Jesus calls us to use authority, Right, and so therefore, even if you may not think you're unhealthy, uh, I, I think the, these series of conversations are ultimately going to be helpful for people that have been abused so that they know that that's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it's also for them to recognize unhealthy systems they may be in to try and help change them. Mm-hmm. And if they're a leader in those kinds of situations, pastor or lay leader or, or whatever the case is, to begin to be exposed to, like you said, the healthy teaching that will ultimately counteract the gangrene, right? Like it'll it'll finally get them to the place where where the 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 unhealthy part is is healed, and you don't have to cut off the foot, <laughs> right? Because we have to believe that Christians can change. We're supposed to change from glory to glory. <clears throat> I read somewhere the only people who never change are either perfect or unteachable. Mm. But if you recognize that, that none of us are perfect, then that means there's always room for growth. But you have to be open to the possibility of change, especially if your actions are hurting other people. Hmm. And, and as we go through this list, uh, we'll, we'll see that um, these are signs to, to watch out for. That This is feedback that, wait a minute, maybe I'm, I'm not going down the right road. But we have to believe people can change if they want to change. Yeah. They have to see the need and they have to be willing to do it and to commit to the process of change. Hmm. The problem with leaders is they paint themselves into a corner. Because if I'm wrong, <laughs> yeah, I lose <laughs> the credibility. whole thing falls down. Yeah, I lose credibility with my people if I come out and, and say this and change that. But if you're really wrong, the better thing – let's correct it now before we get to the other side. I think people actually respect that. Don't yeah, they respect they that do. far Absolutely. more than the stubborn idiot who's up there going, no, 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 no. I mean – The one who's never wrong. Everybody can see it except you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. So what are some of these uh, characteristics of abusive churches, abusive systems, families, workplaces? What what are these things we're looking at here? All right. Well, let's look at them. I've got 12 of them, and these are, are not original with me. Um, David Johnson, Jeff Van Vonderen in their book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, uh, Healing Spiritual Abuse by Ken Blue. Um, they have these 12 things, but uh, the first time I read Ken Blue's book, I, I realized what an eye-opener it was, Healing Spiritual Abuse. And, and uh, it, it just it, it turned on so many lights for me because I had seen it. Mm. I, I'd, been, uh, I'd been exposed to it, and I didn't know it was an identifiable phenomenon. So let's begin here. Well, and there are many more, but here's 12 characteristics of abusive churches. Number one, legislated authority. Legislated authority. Okay, what does that mean, legislated authority? Um, if you want a working definition of it, it would be this. Because I'm the pastor, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> legislated authority means that the power comes strictly from the position all you need is the power, and you can say or do whatever you want. Uh, legislated authority, if you're in a system like that, you'll hear a lot of messages about submission and authority. 
very few messages on the qualifications for that authority. So legislative authority, and we do believe the positions have power, but, but hopefully the people in, got those positions because they were wise, they were godly, they, 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 they made uh, good choices, uh, hopefully. Yeah. But in a system of legislative authority, you don't have to be any of that. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be righteous. <laughs> you don't have to be saved. You don't even have to be right. You just have to have the position. The title, yeah. Exactly. Is there ever a time when that is the appropriate answer? Because I just I tend to really detest exactly what you're talking about. I think culturally we are – you know, maybe I'm a, a younger generation. I'm from New York. I have kind of this, like, you know, authority. No, these people are always wrong. They're, they When they start saying things like that, I shouldn't listen just because. But sometimes God says to listen just because, right? So, oh, so Positions do have power. And, and sometimes I probably should just say, hey, listen, I can't explain it all to you. I'm the pastor, and I just need you to trust me. <laughs> well, sometimes as a counselor, you know, we, we counsel people in the church, and somebody that we're counseling will tell us something in confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And then a situation will come up when another member wants to interact with that person, and, and we can't tell them, no, they, they told me in counseling they have this problem. We can't do that, a violation of confidentiality. Mm-hmm. So in situations like that, listen, I know something you don't know, and, and, and you have to trust my leadership on this. But when we talk about the power, the authority, the real authority is in the truth. Let's imagine a, a man in his pickup truck about to pull out onto the highway, 10-year-old boy sitting up front. The man begins to t- go into the highway, and the 10-year-old says, Dad, stop! Because the boy sees an 18-wheeler speeding down that the dad's not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. The dad is still the dad. He still has the authority, but he better listen to that 10-year-old boy in that situation <laughs> because the real authority is in the truth of the matter. If he goes on, uh, he's yeah. going to get them both killed. Well, and just the way that you described, not with the, the boy in the 18-wheeler, but before that, hey, I, I know something you don't know. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, it seems like there's a different spirit there, mm-hmm. right? There's There's a spirit of love a spirit of care and concern, a spirit of uh, obedience to some higher authority. Rather than this, who are you to question me? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of where I was going. Like, So there's got to be a time when this fits. But So how do we get deeper and and kind of put the two next to each other? Oh, that's great. Yeah, I was doing a a teaching with the Therapon Institute. We we train and certify faith-based counselors, and we have a – a two-and-a-half-day session on belief therapy. It's a certification school. And I was doing this at Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Uh, we went there three years in a row. And there were three preachers sitting right in front of me. And I do just a, a, about an hour piece on spiritual abuse in that seminar. And, and I was talking about spiritual abuse, and you could see these three preachers were getting antsy. There were 60 <laughs> people there, but there were three of them that were identified as preachers. And finally one of them said, what about Hebrews thirteen seventeen? Yes, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Mm. That's who we obey and submit to, the ones that are watching out for this, for your souls. 
We don't have to obey and submit to someone who's practicing spiritual abuse or who's only watching out for their bottom line or for their image or things like that. Their new jet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's not get started on that, man. We'll we'll send send this out another 10 weeks. (laughs) Hey, man, that's fine with me. I said we could talk about it till we're blue in the face. So, So that's legislated authority. It's the power comes strictly from the position. Uh, the position itself is held up. Um, I, I was doing internet counseling with a young lady up north, and uh, it was very obvious she was trapped in an abusive system. And she sent me down a, a handbook from the church she was in. It was kind of a cultic-like church. But one of the rules that people had to follow, uh, the, the man, the pastor wrote this book himself. <laughs> in fact, when I got it, I read it, and I sent her an email. I said, that's very funny. And he sent me a real one. She said, that is the real one. He said, the pastor is the most important person in the world. When the pastor walks through the doors of the church, you should feel that all is well with him. And it goes on and on, extolling the office of a pastor. And, wow. and uh, look, pastors should be honored. But when that's an example of legislated authority. I'm the one, there's no, he wrote in the book, I have no, no peers. <laughs> he has no equals, you know. That that's the type of thing we're talking about with legislative authority. No peers or equals, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even uh, higher than Jesus, it sounds like. I, I I saw a movie a few years ago with Christopher Reeve and Jean Vier Bijold, and this particular movie happened to be about the Catholic Church. They were both Catholics, and um, Christopher Reeve was taking a stand against something the church was doing, selling cigarettes in World War Two or so, something crazy like that. And I, I remember this scene where one of the bishops said to the other bishop about they're going to do something with this Christopher Reeve who's standing up for you know exposing us and things like that. And one of the leaders said to the other one, "Well, we may not have the morality, but we do have the power." <laughs> <laughs> so they transferred him to some obscure post or whatever. But that that line always stuck with me. We may not have righteousness, but we have the power. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to shut you up, buddy. <laughs> Sounds uh, like exactly what they tried to do with Martin Luther. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So that's legislated authority. Um, we can move on to the next one, which is somewhat similar. It's called power posturing. Now, what is power posturing? Power posturing is the leader. In this case, we're talking about pastors. It's anything that sends a message that I'm more important than you are. And these are posturing. It's deliberate. I'm not talking about special parking place for the pastor out front. But but uh, when I t- teach the course, uh, you get all the examples. And one lady was telling me about being in a church where they had a female pastor. And everywhere she went in the church, she was surrounded by four women dressed in white. They followed her everywhere. And if she had to use the restroom, the four ladies would go in there first, make sure nobody's in there, and then they'd come out and stand two on each side of the door hmm. while, while the first lady's in there. They'd call her the first lady. <laughs> and and if some other woman tried to come in, they'd, oh, no, 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 first lady's in there. Okay? So when she came out, they followed her to the pulpit. And I'm hearing this story, and I'm saying, well, did they cry, holy, holy, holy? <laughs> <laughs> like the angels in Isaiah 6, right. right? That's the kind of thing. You got somebody carrying your Bible and stuff like that. It's anything that sends a message, I'm special and you're not. I'm more 
important than you are. There's a tell me if I'm if I'm in line with this or not. I think it can get down even smaller. Go ahead. I read a book about and it's called Antagonists in the Church. Kenneth Howe um, put it out a number of years ago. And we're doing a sermon series. We're going through the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Donna Stewart, Reed, yeah. great movie. Uh, a lot of cool themes in there as we go through this. But but there's a couple of scenes where the bad guy, Mr. Potter, mm-hmm. you know, he sits up high in this really high wheelchair. And then the chair that everyone else has to sit in when they come into his office, you know, there's a spot, one scene in particular where like, you know, Jimmy Stewart's character, George, he gets down and he's like this. And Potter is up here That's an looking down at him. That's an example. So even the way you, you have chairs and things uh, sends Power a message. Pondering. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie The Towering Inferno no. back in the 70s with Paul Newman and Steve McQueen? If you look at the credits at the end of that movie, it's interesting. I don't know how we can put this on the video. But normally you see Paul Newman and under him – Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. Or you'll have Paul Newman, uh, Steve McQueen on the left and Paul Newman on the right. Either one of those scenarios shows you who's got the top billing. Mm-hmm. If you look at the credits at the end of this movie, you're going to see Steve McQueen's name to the left, lower than Paul Newman, but it's on the left. And Paul Newman's name is on the right, but it's, it's higher, but it's on the right. So looking at it like that, it's hard to tell which man has top billing. That was deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> Neither man would agree to be second billing, and so they had to get with their agents and work out that compromise because that's a big thing in Hollywood. It is. Top yeah. billing. It is. Uh, the, the corner office. Mm-hmm. He's got the corner office. The, the athletes. Oh, this guy's making $28.1 million? I want $28.2. <laughs> uh, New York Mets just signed a guy named Max Scherzer. To uh, the highest average annual value for a contract, mm. and, I'm, and I'm sure that had something to do with him signing with the New York Mets, oh, right? Okay. Just the very fact that he's he didn't just like surpass. I mean, he blew away the average annual value. He didn't get a lot of years, but but he was able to go from 36 million as the highest average annual before to 43.3 million a year. Wow, that's, so, that's more than I make. Oh, that's more than we both will make our entire <laughs> lives. <laughs> so, uh, power I, posturing. Power posturing. Um, we, we, there are some people who want this from their leaders. They expect this from their leaders. You want, you want, to, you want to give you a name of such a person? His name was Peter. Mm. Jesus took off his outer garments, put on the servant's girdle, and washed his disciples' feet. And Peter protested, Lord, that shall not be, you're not going to do this to me. He didn't want to see Jesus in a subservient role. And Jesus didn't wash his disciples' feet every time, but he showed nothing should be beneath us. Now, a person who's engaged in power posturing, they would never do anything like that. Because it would be bad for their image. They want to show how important they are. Mm. I mentioned this last time, I believe. We we go to India. We've been there five times now to do pastor's conference. And the second year, I brought my nephew with me. And I asked him the same thing I ask everybody who goes with us for the first time. When the the trip is over, what what impressed you the most about uh, about India? And he gave an example. We stayed in an orphanage. 
And the head of the orphanage and the head of the All India Council, I mean, the top guy over there uh, was a man named Brother Babu. And when the, the, there were four of us that came from America, there was Brother Babu and there was the taxi driver. The taxi pulls up. So there's six of us, all right? And, but you can only seat five, two up front and three in the back, but there's a space in the trunk that a person can sit. So when, when Boyd got there, he was a small guy. Um, he saw the other seats were taken. Brother Babu wasn't there yet. So Boyd goes and gets in the back of the trunk and closes the door. It's, it's a space, you know, big enough to sit in. When Brother Babu came, he opened that trunk, and he said to Boyd, Please, sir, please, sir, motions him out. and goes and opens the front door, the, 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 the passenger seat. We used to call it riding shotgun. <laughs> he puts Boyd in it. Now, Brother Babu's about 230 pounds. He goes and squeezes himself into that back seat, okay, that, that trunk area. And Boyd said that's what impressed him the most. I know pastors that if you were sitting in that front seat, they'd come and take you out and put you in the trunk because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's their seat. Mm-hmm. So that that's Power posturing, when I have to be seen as superior to you, I have to be seen as more important to you. In New Orleans, I'd heard this story for years. Um, there was a man who calls himself an apostle, and he has a gold Mercedes with the personalized license plate, apostle, on the front of the car. I heard that story for years, but I went to a meeting one night, and, and there he was. He was preaching. I was invited by somebody else. And I saw that gold Mercedes. It was parked right in the front. And there were four men. I saw this, standing at each corner of the vehicle with their arms folded the whole time he's in there preaching. Wow. That is power posturing. One of the ladies who was with us had her three children with her in the car, and it went to past midnight. So she left about 10 o'clock at night. It's a hot August night. We came out there at midnight when the service was over. She's still in the parking lot. She couldn't get out. See, there were, she didn't have four men with her car up front. See, that is power posturing. Gold Mercedes, apostle, four men at each time. It's, it's sending a very strong message. Look how important I am. So uh, I, don't, I don't think I do that. I mean, I do that with my kids a little bit. You know, like I got my seat at the table. Mostly because it's most comfortable, and I'm the largest person in the family, and I need the space. Uh, but I, I feel like there are times, and I know other guys, other pastors, leaders, that because they don't do the power posturing, in some ways, it kind of leaves you vulnerable to people that do. Oh, absolutely! Right? Like because you look they're bad looking, by comparison. They're like, "Oh man, this guy doesn't." So I'm just going to dump all over him. And then as soon as you go, well, but just because I'm not a jerk like you doesn't mean I'm just going to let you walk all over me, yeah. right? And then you you find yourself in these tussles. Uh, well, well, like I said, some people expect that of their leaders. And if you don't do the things we're talking about here, they may find someone else who does. Yeah, It's strange hmm. what people are looking for because they've been taught wrongly. Yeah. They've been said. This is what a pastor is. This is what a church is. When we talked about legalism, you know, uh, the, the the severity and the strictness of it. Some people want that. 
because they've been taught th- this is what God. You know how how legalistic God is. You know how strict He is. How He's going to hold your feet to the fire, and, and they just assume that's the way God is. Yeah. So you're at, so, sort of at a disadvantage because you're doing the right thing, the biblical thing, and the people who've been taught wrongly think that you're wrong, and you they don't respect you for that reason. I, I sorry, I'm just having this uh, moment now because I'm ahead. I'm thinking about just my own experience and people they would rather have the jerk. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. And so if they would rather have the jerk, I'm well, happy to let them. <laughs> when, when we say this thing works, the principles of spiritual abuse, uh, what what we mean is it gives you what they want. Yeah. It, C.S. Lewis said that. Theology tells us which means are lawful. Mm. Politics tells us which means are effective. <laughs> so there are people who will do these things because of the benefits that accrue to them, but that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right, and I actually think in the end, I think God is in the midst of tearing down those unhealthy, a lot more of those unhealthy systems. Well, eventually they're all going to fall. That's absolutely true, yeah. Um, They're sowing the seeds of their own destruction. But I think there's a piece to this that in the end, it is actually far more effective long-term, perhaps, is the way to think about it, short-term and long-term, to do it the right way. Of course. It, it's it's eternally speaking, of course, but then also uh, I think people are more committed and more invested in healthy systems, and people are more attracted to healthy systems than unhealthy ones, than they are to abusive ones, in the end. In the end, yeah. Stick it out, because um, you've seen a lot of big churches come and go, you know, if the foundation is not right, eventually it's going to collapse. And and you're going to get more hurt. I mean, the people, when the big guys fall, Mm -hmm. I mean, that... Hurts lots of people. Devastating. And so when you allow these things and uh, perpetuate the unhealthy systems, you're just asking for a train wreck at some point. Yeah. Um, Proverbs fourteen twenty eight says, The multitude of people is the glory of the king, but the lack of people is the destruction of the prince. So my real fight, and I feel like I am kind of on the front lines of this, at least in New Orleans, my fight is not a, primarily against the spiritual abusers. We understand why they're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're getting the money. They're getting the recognition. It, it's the people who are supporting them. That's where the disappointment is. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's the ones that we need to try to reach because the, the ones at the top, they can change that they very seldom do. They're unscrupulous, things like that. But it's the people who throw money at them, the people who support them. In many cases, don't even enjoy the church experience, but feel like they're trapped in it. And, and in one of the latest sessions, we can give you some of the reasons why people stay in abusive systems even when they're miserable. Yeah, There, there are a lot of uh, psychological dynamics in place that, and spiritual dynamics that keep people supporting something that they're not really happy with. Uh, that's the Hebrews thirteen seventeen you mentioned earlier, ha- watching over their souls, yeah, right? They, for they watch for your souls. It's if if they wind up in this situation long enough, their 
their eyes will be opened at some point. If they're willing to see, if they're and, willing to. You know. And it could be the destruction of their faith, right? And, and I've talked to you a little bit about this before. I don't think I got into a whole lot of detail uh, in, in here on the podcast, but there's this movement, this deconstruction movement where there are people who are who are looking at their faith background and they're going, man, that was toxic, mm-hmm. and this must be what Christianity is about. This must be what religion is about. I want no part of that. Mm-hmm. And they go off into this whole other and, – and honestly, when I look at some of what they post online and talk about, I actually think they're just as unhealthy now as they were before. They're just as legalistic – they're just – they are now the taskmasters, not God, right? And They're angry. They're bitter. They're angry. They're bitter. They have no I – mean, there is no benefit for them leaving that other than basically, you know, sticking it to the man or or organization mm-hmm. or religious system that, that led them to this pain. But they're not free. <laughs> no. What happened, they became disillusioned, right? Mm. They thought this was the place, this is where God wanted me. And then they peek behind the curtain like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, you know, and they pay no attention behind that man behind the curtain. And, and uh, as you mentioned, they get hurt when the big guy falls. They become disillusioned. That's a very painful thing. But when you think about it, it's good to be disillusioned. Because the word disillusion means you lose your illusion. Mm, yeah. What Which you is had not true. was not true. Yeah. <laughs> it's the illusion. Yeah. You find out your spouse was cheating on you. You had no idea. It's a very painful and devastating thing. But if they really were cheating on you, it's good that you found out about it. Yeah. Because then you can begin the healing process or, you know, do something about it. And, and at the very, even a step back from, hey, now I at least know that this is happening and I can get out or whatever. But you can also break yourself of the illusion that everything was fine, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't. No, it Th- wasn't There's something all. that was going on here. Uh, there are reasons that led to this, and mm-hmm. and, and now you're, you're free to see that truth. Uh, we're only on two. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll take these a few at a time. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, let's, let's keep going here. Okay, we can do the next two kind of quickly. Number three is misuse of spiritual authority. Now, we can do that kind of quickly because we've already uh, dealt with that. So the authority itself is not abusive. It's the misuse of authority. Lord Byron once said that power corrupts, power corrupts, uh, tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. absolutely. But that's really not technically correct. It's the misuse of power that corrupts, not power. Uh, Jesus had power. God has power. Healthy pastors have power. But the misuse of spiritual authority. Um, We can imagine this conversation, but let's say between two Christian women talking about why they, they left their respective churches, found another church. Well, I left that church over there because I found out they were using me. And the other one says, well, I left that church over there because I found out they wouldn't use me. Now, you see, they're both using the same word use, but they're using it in different meanings. Hmm. There's one way to use somebody that's wrong. You exploit them from your own, for your own selfish purposes to their mm-hmm. disadvantage. But there's another way to use somebody. You, you provide them a platform that they can display their ministry and their gifts. See, that's a good and a healthy thing. So... 
what we're talking about, the misuse of spiritual authority, is you're taking from people to build your own image, your own kingdom, but it's to their detriment. They're not getting better. They're not getting healthier. Mm. Uh, they're being made to do things they don't want to do. Uh, with spiritual abuse, you can get people to give money they don't want to give. Uh, you can get people to serve what it, in positions they don't want to serve and get people to come to services they don't want to come in, uh, come to. So that's a misuse of spiritual authority. You have it. And I'll even say God gave it to you. There's no power but of God. Let, let's say Hitler's power. Okay, God. But what did Hitler do with that power? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he turned it against the purposes of God. Yeah. So that's the misuse of spiritual authority. And number four, we can do that kind of quickly because it's everything we've been talking about. They manipulate through control, fear, guilt, and threats. The word manipulate is actually based on a Latin word for hand, manus. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, you can imagine a puppeteer putting their hand up the <laughs> puppet and making them do all these things. So that's what manipulation is. Uh, it, it's when you are using psychological pressure or fear or, or misusing God's name to get people to do things they don't want to do. That's manipulation or things that they shouldn't do. Um, and they use fear guilt, and even threats. That, that's amazing because I, I, I told you before we came on the air that in this country, no one is legally required to attend church. <laughs> and those who choose to attend church are not legally required to obey their pastors. That's not true in Iran, you know, in some of yeah. the Muslim countries. Yeah. But here in America, you don't have to go to church, and if you go to church, you're not legally re- – you, you can't go to court or you can't get arrested for not obeying your pastor. But there are ways, <laughs> tried and true methods uh, that people have found, leaders have found that they can manipulate through fear, guilt, and threats. And that's what spiritual abuse is about. Um, I think I mentioned the, the term, uh, Jesus said, the Gentiles exercise dominion over others, and that, that term exercise dominion is katakureyuo, and it means to lord it over somebody. And it occurs in two places, in, in one, once in the Gospels, well, in a parallel passage, and, and then Peter says, uh, not being lords over God's heritage, it's that phrase. But then it, it occurs again in the book of Acts, and, and when I saw it, it's a strange context, Acts 19, the seven sons of Sceva saw, saw Paul casting out demons and thought he used a magic word named the name of Jesus. So they found somebody with a demon, we, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of him. Uh, and the demon said, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Yeah, yeah. And the man leapt on them and overcame them. See that word overcame? overcame. That's katakureyo. And they fled from the house naked and wounded. <laughs> and that's where I saw something. Ah, that's the tie-in here. This verse tells us what happens to people who have been katakureyo-ed. Mm. They flee the house naked and wounded because these types of things have been applied to them, the pressure, the fear, the threats. Uh, look at Scientology. If you and your family are in there and you, you decide that you want to get out of there, they hold your family hostage. The, the family who stays behind, same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses, will, will be taught never to speak to you again. They cut off all contact. Your loved ones, your daughters, your brothers. 
Can't see him anymore. Hmm. That, that, that's a fear and guilt and a threat. So that's what spiritual abuse does. It, it manipulates people. God commands, but he doesn't control and he doesn't coerce. Wow. He leaves it up to us. He respects our free will, and we should respect the free will of others. That, that's kind of uh, doesn't control. He doesn't coerce. Right. He I could th- if he wanted. He could pressure anybody to do anything. <laughs> and so many people, their objections to God involve the fact that I wish he would just control and coerce. <laughs> right? Like he's letting these bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right, he's not he's not making everything perfect, even though he has said he is going to. Right, that mm-hmm. that that is actually part of the plan. He hasn't yet, and where we are today is a result of our own Adam and Eve rejecting the command of God, even though He wouldn't uh, coerce or control them. Mm-hmm. And uh, back to the Peter example you used before, people would rather be. Some people controlled and coerced. They they want to put their pastor in a new Cadillac every year, and it's a it's a pride thing for them. Mm. You know, look at my pastor, and they put all these titles in front of their names, and after their name, I we talk about power posturing. I got a letter one time from a minister in New Orleans, calls himself a bishop, inviting me to some meeting. You know, the letter he sends out, and then he signed the letter by saying His Grace, Bishop So and So, and I'm looking at that. His grace, well, you know me. I called the church. I, I said, uh, I got this letter from, you know, okay. Uh, you coming to the meeting? I said, well, and I ignored that. And I said, well, I have a question. Why did he sign it, his grace? You know, because I'm thinking maybe maybe he meant in his grace, you know, meaning Jesus. Why did he sign it, his grace? You know the answer I got? That's a title of respect amenable to a man in his position. Like the king. Yeah, right. Got got the coloring, his grace, like like the king. Yes, exactly. That's that's wow. your power posturing. <laughs> wow. So it's wow. everywhere. It's everywhere. All right. You want to go on to the unspoken rules? Sure, yeah. Unspoken rules. These are rules that are not posted on the bulletin board. <laughs> <laughs> But they're, they're, they're more powerful than the spoken rules. Uh, an example of an unspoken rule might be, um, don't ever argue with this board member. Don't get on his bad side. You'll be in trouble. Or don't, don't run afoul of the, the pastor's wife. <laughs> In some churches, uh, kind of a comical example of an unspoken rule, don't sit in somebody else's seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you come in early and sit in a seat that somebody's used to sitting in, you're going to get some strange looks. <laughs> but, and, but the and we unsp- wonder why people aren't coming to church anymore. Exactly. <laughs> and they have that in the business world, too. You know, I, I worked in a business one time when it said that they will reward employees who bring uh, theft to management's attention. And I saw what happened to some employees who did that. Uh, they, they got transferred somewhere else. See, the, the, the written rule on the bulletin board said this is what we want you to do, but if you did it, you got in trouble because the unspoken rule took precedence over that. Yeah, I had a really unpleasant experience uh, letting people know about all the bad stuff going on. Actually, multiple probably experiences, but... Uh, well, look what happens you, to the whistleblowers. They go after you. Yeah. yeah. 
you're you're a threat to the system. You're a threat to the church. Right? We have to protect the church. Even uh, though Jesus already said that nothing's right, the gates of hell are not going to overcome it, and we feel like we got to mm-hmm. protect it. Yeah, well, if it's ours, we have to protect it. There you go. If it's ours. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. When Jesus cleansed the temple, what did he say? My house. My house, yeah. What did he say the next day? Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Mm. See, they they built it the way they wanted it, and Jesus said, okay, it's yours. You get to keep it. Yeah. But here's what's going to happen to it. Because you didn't run it like it was my house. You... you You've turned my house into a den of thieves. Is that possible? Can a person, a wicked, sinful religious leader, turn God's house into a den of thieves? Jesus sure said he seems did. like it, yeah. He said that. You've turned it into a den of thieves. How can you do that? Because you can. God commands, but it doesn't control and it doesn't coerce. Hmm. If you want to take his Bible, his religion, so to speak, his authority, and twist it and use it for your own personal selfish ends, you can do it. But, oh, there'll be a price to pay. Mm. When I talk about the, the prosperity preachers, you know, and you send me $1,000 and God will do this, that, and the other. I said, look, that stuff works. In fact, if you do it well enough, you might wind up the richest man in hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's way more... Uh, you know, people that get all upset about this idea of hell today, right? They just want, hey, you know what? If God's really a God of love, he's going to let everybody in. And and I do think that there are probably more people in than we think, uh, but it's not the people we think, right? That it's going to be some unexpected people in there. But but if everybody's in, then what about those kinds of stories? Like there are some disgusting, wicked People and Hitler, Stalin, Mo, you know, Gaddafi, so, yeah. So, Osama uh, bin Laden. When people say God is a God of love and mercy, He would never send somebody into eternal fire. Well, first of all, I hope they're right. I mean, I wouldn't want to see anybody suffer eternally. But the question is not what I think or feel or hope. Yeah. Um, the question is, upon what basis do you make that determination? What What's your evidence? Yeah. If you say God would never do this, I can show you teachings of Jesus where he said the wicked are going to go away into everlasting punishment. I'll show you the book of Revelation, the beast and the false prophet, after a thousand years are still on the lake of fire. Now, that's the evidence I have. I can't prove it one way or the other. But something that you say has to be based on some type of evidence. And if your evidence is what you think God would do or wouldn't do, as opposed to what he says in his own word he wouldn't do, that mm-hmm. he would do, well, then that's what you need to examine. Well, but I think that people are normally responding to the misuse of hell, the doctrine of hell and, and oh. all that stuff, right? So on, first off, God doesn't coerce or control, so anyone that winds up there is there of their own choices. Oh, yeah. They no want to be there. To, God's not willing that any should perish. They don't want God, uh, and, and th- th- God's not going to make them want him. Mm-hmm. He's not going to make them be with him forever. Um, my my colleague then, in Therapon said this, hell is a testament to man's free will. Yeah. So There's also a guy, uh, I forget the quote. Uh, he is, uh, I think he's actually a theologian at Yale, Divinity School maybe. Okay. But he's Bosnian, 
he's from that part of the world where in the yeah. 90s it was yeah. awful, yeah. right, the late 80s and 90s. Right. And there's a quote that I've seen go around a few times, and it's – I'm paraphrasing. It's something along the lines of the only people that can throw out this whole idea of hell or divine judgment are people that haven't watched the atrocity, atrocities of war like we have, that haven't had their their wives and sisters raped and, mm-hmm. and their brothers and, and fathers and mm-hmm. mothers murdered. They can only say it from those, uh, those quaint – uh, white picket fenced suburban neighborhoods right, right. of you know rich upper class America. Yeah, well, who right, was middle it, class who upper was class. It that said war is hell. <laughs> yeah. That that's true. Yeah, and, and 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 people need to realize that and understand that you can't just go by your basis of what you think God would do or wouldn't do. There has to be, as C.S. Lewis said, finality has to come at some point. Yeah. And that, that's what we have from, from the Scripture, that it's going to be eternal separation from God. It will not be a pleasant thing. But no one needs to do that. No one needs to go there. And, and to to break free of a abusive spiritual system and then to throw out that, you're actually throwing out one of the things that could actually provide you comfort. It can also make you bitter. But this idea that, you know what, God's going to sort it out. I hope they turn and come to Christ, but if they don't, God's God's got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, they're they're going to get what's coming to them for the way that they nearly destroyed my faith. Well, some, sometimes um, that type of attitude is a re, is a reaction against spiritual abuse. Carlton Pearson, are you familiar with him? No. He was a leading member in the Church of God. He had a mega church. He was raised up by Old Roberts and different ones. But the Church of God in Christ is it's a very legalistic denomination. Uh, there's a lot of talk about hell and threats, and if you leave the church, this bad thing's going to happen. And his grandparents, whom he loved very much, had left that church, and he was told how they were going to go to hell because they left the church, and that always bothered him. <clears throat> so one day, he's this is, I, I saw him say this. I'm watching a documentary. He said this. He's watching television, and some African people are being misplaced, uh, the, the refugees. And he's looking at it, and, he, and he's thinking, he says to himself, man, that's a shame because, you know, they're not Christians, so they're going to hell. And he heard a voice. And the voice said to him, do you think that's what we're doing? And all of a sudden, his eyes were open. <laughs> And he realized that everything he had believed about God and hell, that was wrong. And now he remained a preacher. He lost his denomination. But he started preaching just what you were saying. Everybody's going to be saved. Nobody's going to hell. Now, what was he basing? I hope he's right, just for the sake of those people. Mm-hmm. Who, but what was he basing it on? He heard a voice. Well, the Scripture is very clear, passage after passage. Test the spirits. I think it's it's a far better thing <clears throat> to take God at his word. And then if you get to the other end and you find out, well, you know, really there is no such place. Hey, I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, but I, I also think the the majority of the verses that talk about hell and being excluded and the door being shut and there being weeping and gnashing of teeth, and that's for the spiritual abusers. 
Exactly. Right. So it's. I, exactly. I actually think there's more hope for the people in Africa you're talking about. I would rather be them than than there are for the spiritual abusers. I would rather be them. And Jesus said this in Matthew 23, which is a great exposition of spiritual abuse. He told the, the the Pharisees, "How can you escape the damnation of hell?" Now, it's not that they committed too many sins, but the problem was they were taking God's word the law of Moses and different things, and using it to ensnare people. In other words, they destroyed the means of their own salvation. Mm. God throws you a lifeline, the gospel, and you take it. Instead of hauling it into shore, you, you start wrapping around, it around people's somebody's necks neck and, and strangling them. Yeah. yeah, How can you escape the damnation of hell? Well, you can't with that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, we could do a whole thing just on that. Oh, yeah. Well, you you want to go on to loyalty, loyalty oriented, or we? Let's see. Uh, I'll stop asking you questions, and <laughs> okay, it's it's all up to you how much uh, how much you think you can go here. Oh well, don't tempt me. Uh, <laughs> don't provoke me. Well, well, we'll just encourage folks to come back to pause and come back if they need to. All right. Well, let's go on to loyalty oriented, and here's where I, I ask a question of the the class. And I'll say, now think before you answer. Loyalty. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Depends on who you're loyal to. <laughs> That's one of the answers. The first, the first answer is this. What are you calling loyalty? You see, in an abusive system, things get relabeled. Um, noticing that the problems of the system gets labeled as gossip. And... Uh, confronting a minister over misdeeds becomes disloyalty. Mm. See, the, the, so the first question is, what are you calling loyalty? So if I'm the pastor and you see me coming out of a hotel room with a woman who's not my wife, and you tell somebody about it, you're being disloyal. See? Mm-hmm. And the second thing, like you said, what are you being loyal to? Yeah, I mean, I think far more people are loyal to their pastors, their religious leaders, their churches, than they are to Jesus. <laughs> exactly. Um, Joseph Goebbels, May 1st, 1945, Hitler had already committed suicide. Uh, that, that, that night they poisoned all of their six children and uh, they put cyanide in their mouth while they were sleeping. And the next day they committed suicide, had their bodies burned. He could not live in a world without his beloved Fuhrer. Yeah. Loyal to the end, but was that praiseworthy? So, so like you said, what are you being loyal to? Yeah. If you're loyal to a false religion, that's, that, that's no benefit to you whatsoever. You owe no loyalty to, to what's wrong. You owe no loyalty to what's false. You owe loyalty to the truth, truth of God's word. So in these systems, loyalty-oriented, you're going to hear a lot of messages about what loyalty is. There was a book written called The Armor Bearer. Have you heard of it? No. Some ministers have bought cases of it to give to their staff. And I've, I think they have three versions, that one, two, and three. And I've got them all, and I've read them. But in one of these passages, it says this. If you're the armor bearer, you're the one who protects, like Jonathan's armor bearer protected him. So you protect the pastor, no matter what he says or does, mm. your job is to protect him. 
And I think that obedience to human leadership, respect to human leadership, is conditional. It's conditional. Submission is conditional. Peter and Jane, uh, Peter and Paul both taught submission to the government. Both men died for refusing to submit to the government. <laughs> it's a question of <clears throat> love. It exactly, exactly. Uh, it's conditional. The only unconditional obedience we owe is to God. But to everyone else, it's conditional. Follow me as I follow Christ, and no farther. You know, I think just I think everything we're talking about, the reason why people slide into these abusive systems, toxic environments, and and kind of get stuck there or stay there or just bolt and don't look for healthy over abusive, this takes work. Like you have to actually think. <laughs> You can't just take what somebody says. You have to actually be engaged in some kind of deeper thoughts, uh, deeper conversations with the Lord about whether something is healthy or unhealthy. Because it's not... Isn't that what God calls us to do? Isaiah 118? <laughs> yes. Come now, let point. us reason together. Let us reason together. Yes, yes, yes. Now, if you want to talk about the reasons why people get trapped in systems, we have to go way back. Um, because this begins in the family of origin, and that's mm. going to be a whole different conversation. But people who were raised in abusive family systems tend to graduate, uh, gravitate toward abusive religious systems because they've been set up for it. Mm. And they don't like it, but they know how to do it. Everything they learned as a child in an abusive family system translates perfectly into an abusive religious system. So they just... Here's a woman, her father was an alcoholic who beat her. She's had three husbands who are alcoholics who beat her. And she thinks she's got bad luck. Mm. And doesn't understand there's something in her, something twisted, something wrong, that causes her to gravitate towards those abusive relationships. And we can talk about that some other time because there's a lot of stuff there. Well, and the the irony in that kind of a situation is is it's hard to say that to a person who's already so fragile and thinks so low of themselves. Well, you have to be very careful. Like the young lady up north that I mentioned, mm -hmm. at first 10 minutes, I was doing counseling on the Internet. I used to belong to an Internet counseling service. In the first 10 minutes, I realized she was trapped in an abusive religious system. But I, I didn't tell her that. You have to take things slowly because you can't just come right up front and so she, she said one time, well, well, our pastors told us never to question what they say. I said, really? I said, do you have your Bible with you? She said, yeah. I said, well, we'll turn to Acts 17, 11. And I had her read it. But these were more noble than those at Thessalonica, talking about the Bereans, and that they searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And she read that. She said, oh, I never saw that before. So you have to kind of be gentle, like you're saying with some people. You can't just come rushing right up front. Everything you believe in is wrong. Yeah. You're, you're, in a, you're in a place that was set up by the devil. You have to slowly give them pieces of truth. And then as they receive the truth, eventually she told me, she said, I'm, I'm trapped in a cult up here. I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Yes. <laughs> ding, and ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. <laughs> and she was. I said, that was a bad church, man. She sent me some tapes of their preaching, and this is what passed for preaching up there. 
Some of you young people are so stupid. Now, listen to this on the tape. You're so stupid. Yeah, I see you sitting up there with your Dracula lipstick on. (laughs) And then start talking about people. uh, uh, Some of you women, you claim you're depressed. No wonder you're depressed. You're sitting around all day long watching TV and eating bonbons. Oh, you don't like my preaching? Well, I don't like your dress size. (laughs) Oh, wow. And, and, and. So they're trained to the people are, are tra- thinking. Well, that that's what that's how God is. That's what God does. Yeah, and of course that's not how He is. That's not no. Again, uh, you show me a religion, a God, a Christianity, a Jesus that you have rejected, and so have I, probably. Yes, right? rejected the same one. So what's this persecution sensitive? Oh man, well there's a, all of these. They have motives behind them. But the persecution sensitive is it's designed to keep people in the system because everybody outside of the church is out to get us. And you hear terms like Catholic bashing, Mormon bashing. You know, I I get that a lot when I debate on the Internet. Why are you bashing me? Um, They're designed to create that impression. Uh, So you better stay in here because those people out there they hate us, and they're going to get us. Um, you remember Jim Baker when uh, he was being investigated by the Charlotte Observer uh, from his uh, s- selling properties that, that weren't built yet uh, at Heritage? Well, he would come on his broadcast and say, the Charlotte Observer is after us. They're trying to destroy my ministry. And See, it's a persecution sensitive is you know that there are legitimate questions being asked about you. Mm-hmm. You know that. But what you're doing is you're late. You remember things get relabeled? You're labeling it as persecution. persecution. Yeah. I, I was talking to a man one time who was in our church in the early years, very uh, brash, very abrasive. He would always say things that would hurt people. He made some women in the church cry. So I'm confronting him about this, and I'm talking about I said, brother, this is not just a problem you've had in our church. Uh, I've talked to this pastor. He said you did the same thing. That pastor said you did the same thing. You know what he told me? Well, they persecuted Paul too. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't persecute Paul for making nasty remarks to married women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they persecuted him for preaching right. the gospel, the the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, so when people outside of the church are raising legitimate questions, uh, they're going to label that as persecution just to try and keep you in. Yeah. So that's the persecution sensitive. How about can't talk rule? Oh, okay. Can't talk rule. You're not allowed to discuss the problems of the system. Uh, it, it, it's frowned upon. And you hear a lot of messages about gossip and hearsay. Like, these are all bad things. And, and I think uh, last time I was here, we, I, I gave you the Bible verse that tells you how to deal with hearsay. It's Deuteronomy thirteen twelve. If thou shalt hearsay in one of thy cities that certain men, the children of uh, Belial, have withdrawn the inhabitants thereof and, and, and said, Come, let us worship other gods, then thou shalt ask and inquire and search out diligently. And if the thing be true, well, then you go and kill the rascals. <laughs> but but that's what you do with, with a rumor. 
man, I, I hear the, the leader is, is uh, taking money from the church. In a system where you have a can't-talk group, shh, how dare you say something like that? that that's slander. That's mm-hmm. gossip. In the Bible, you check it out. If, if you tell me something bad about my best friend, man, I, I, I've got some, some something bad to say about your best friend. Sit down and tell me all about it. Why? Because if it's not true, I want to set the record straight. And, and stop you from saying, if it's true, I want to go and help my friend. That's what you do with gossip or hearsay. You don't act on it, and you don't ignore it. Hmm. You check it out. You have a duty and a responsibility. What is one of the terms for a pastor in, in the Bible? It's an overseer. An overseer. You look for these things. You check these things out. So in the can't talk rule, you're not allowed to do that. Um. And in those systems, disagreement is treated as disobedience. So if you just say anything negative, um, well, it's just not allowed. And people are cowed into submission. And again, this goes back to abuse in the home, family of origin. Abuse takes away a person's voice. Um, When they were young, they they couldn't talk. They, They couldn't tell people they'd be disbelieved. And, and even today, people many times are disbelieved when they break the, uh, the silence on their abuse. So the can't-talk rule, uh, and people who have been raised in those abusive systems, they already know how to do that. Mm. They know how to keep their mouth shut because <laughs> they don't want the trouble that comes when you ex- expose the abuse. So that's the can't-talk rule. Wow. Yeah, and that's unfortunately far too common. Uh, I, it's never a good sign. We, there's definitely things that I should probably ask and, and talk about at some point, just personal experience with some of this. But I can just give you, I guess for now, an amen. <laughs> okay. Amen. I know what you're talking about. We'll get to it. Secretive. This Number probably nine, secretive. kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah, but the secretive is um, what goes on in this room stays in this room. Board meetings, um, and and you can you can chisel this in stone and put my name on it. Whenever you find people that are being secretive, they're always hiding something. <laughs> always, this is hundred percent of the time. And, and Jesus put it this way in John three nineteen: This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather so than the light yes. because their deeds were evil. They didn't want the light. Yep. But he that doeth evil hateth the light, neither does he come to the light at any time lest his deeds be reproved. But he that doeth truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. So when you're secretive, what goes on in this room stays in this room. Uh, nobody needs to know what we're doing with the money. That That's never healthy. When, when you're in a church system and... Nobody knows what's going on with the money. I tell people when they're looking for a new church, first service, go up to the pastor or one of the elders and say, may I see a copy of your financial statement? And if they refuse to show it to you, don't go back. (laughs) For one thing, a church is considered by the IRS to be a 501 nonprofit tax-free corporation, even if they haven't applied for it. 
And as such, any citizen has the right to ask for a financial statement. If they don't deliver it, they can be subject to a $50 a day fine up to to $5,000. Wow. $20 a day up to $5,000. And that that's, comes from a CPA and an IRS agent. They're both different people told me that. We put our financial statement on a bulletin board. It's up there all year long. Now, not the individual giving records. That's private. Mm-hmm. But what the church, what's coming in, what's going out, why not? If what you're doing is okay, why can't we know about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, if you do the right thing, you want people to uh, uh, Johnny, did you clean your room? Yes, ma'am. Okay. No, no. C- come see. Come, come look at it. Yeah. If now, if it's not clean, <laughs> you know. Okay, you I'm coming to look at it in a couple of minutes. Right. <gasps> like, like when visitors show up and your house is dirty and you kind of hide and you peek behind the curtain hoping they'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> so secretive is never good. We provide things honest in the sight of all men. I have used that uh, John three passage near the end of uh, John three often. You know, mm-hmm. you can't be afraid of the light. And even though one of the things that I think Jesus does for us is that he helps us come to a place where we can be exposed ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So that we may find out something that we didn't know about ourselves. We may find out we did something wrong, that we hurt someone. But in the light, we're willing to walk into the light because his light has already shined in our hearts we know God so loved the world that he gave his only son that he didn't send into son into the world to condemn the world, right? He, he's not here to make you feel bad or hurt right. you. He's here exactly. for your good. Help you. But if you want to keep from God, you want to keep it dark and, and, and all that, then, of course, you hide. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. powerful stuff. Secretive. Spiritual elitism. All right. This is any message that says uh, we're either the only true church— <laughs> or uh, a lesser version of that, but not 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 too much worse. But a slightly lesser version is we're on the cutting edge. We, you you don't want to be with the church down the street. God has given us a special revelation. God has given us a special task. Uh, we're carrying the banner. Okay, so anything that creates the impression that because you belong to this group. You're spiritually superior to the other groups, and I get that all the time on the but internet. That, that's like every single denomination. Uh, just it, wh- why do you think that's our denomination? <laughs> well, why do you think <laughs> we're that? better than everybody else? Because we got the truth. We have more way. truth than other people. Either yeah. we're the only ones with the truth, or we have more truth than other people. Yeah, and uh, that appeals to the flesh. It does we're number one, right? And so that's what spiritual elitism, it, it creates the impression. It's okay to see yourself as a competent minister of the gospel. If that's what you are, then that's fine. That's what God says you are. But when you begin to compare yourself to other, the Pharisee praying in the temple, he didn't just say, uh, God, I'm glad I'm righteous. He said, I'm not like that man over there. You mm-hmm. see, there always has Comparing. to be that comparison and the putting down of others to make you feel better. Jesus starts out that, or Luke starts that out, introduces that parable saying, Jesus tells this 
so that you know you can figure out who is self-righteous and looks down on others or this is how you know someone is self-righteous because they put down and condemn other people exactly it's that comparison one of the terms for it is power over when i'm up here and you're down there but when i'm debating on the internet whether it's catholics or orthodox uh, i debate those folks a lot on different aspects of their theology and, and i usually get this response well you protestants did such and such and and, and, and the, the Protestants, you know, they burn people at the stake and things like that. But I'll say, first of all, I'll say, um, I'm not a Protestant because <clears throat> I'm not. I don't. And, but then I'll say, don't you ever imagine that because you can look at somebody who may be wrong in certain areas, that that doesn't prove you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the tendency is to look to others. Well, yeah, maybe I steal, but I don't steal like that guy stole. <laughs> Those are ad hominem attacks, I ad believe. Hominem, yeah. So you go after the person, you attack the person instead of their ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the spiritual elitism where, where you foster the idea that in our group, if you're a member of our group, you're special. <laughs> well, we like to think we're special here at Open Arms, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that we're the only place that people can get saved. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there's also, and you know, these last two. I, they just, they hit me because I've seen it uh, Mm -hmm. up close and personally, painfully so. Eleven is the growing army of walking wounded. Growing army of walking wounded. I was, I mentioned before um, about being involved in a situation where a man who called himself an apostle um, was dealing with me about something. He was very uh, legalistic man, uh, very harsh, and, and he told me that uh, he didn't want to listen to lay people, and yet that was a requirement. There were some people complaining about a pastor who was under his authority. Some of the elders were complaining about this pastor, and, and now they were in my church, and he refused to meet with them. He said, I'm not interested in hearing from lay people. And then he wrote this. His letter's still in my files. There are probably two or 300 people in this city who feel that I'm not fit to pastor. Thinking, why would you write something like that? But but in his mentality, it was very clear. David, look, I'm the apostle. If they don't think that I'm fit to pastor, doesn't that tell you how wrongly people are? <laughs> but the bodies are piling up. And, and, and this is also going to tie into the next one, no honorable exit, and also uh, where they m- manipulate through fear, guilt, and threats. In a, an abusive system, they punish you for leaving. <clears throat> they give you a lot of grief for leaving. And, and so when people leave, they're never coming back. Because everybody you've, you've hurt, you've cheated, you've lied to, um, they have friends, they have relatives, they have acquaintances, and you've lost those people. So that's what you were saying about eventually, if you do the wrong thing, eventually it's going to collapse in on you. Mm-hmm. So that's the growing army of walking wounded. And you can't just keep explaining it away. Well, they're a bunch of rebels. Well, that lady's a Jezebel. Well, they they, they left the church, so what do we care? No, no, no. The evidence is piling up. Yeah. This is the fruit of your ministry. It's not helping people. It's not happy people. And our church, no, no, no pastor likes to see people leave. I don't like to see people leave. Uh, if we could lock the back door, we'd be meeting in the Superdome by now. <laughs> but but we have we're nice to people who leave, 
even when they leave wrongly, you know, you don't pay their rent. You pay their rent three three months in a row, and the last month you don't pay it, and they go down the street telling everybody how, what kind of Christian are you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're nice to those people. And, and you know what we found out? Some of those people come back. Wow. Winston Churchill once said, democracy is the worst form of government. Except, Except for, for all, all the, the others. others. <laughs> and I like to paraphrase that. Christian Fellowship's the worst church on the West Bank. Except for all the others. Because <laughs> I'm being facetious about that. But I'm hoping that they'll find out about that if it's true. Yeah. And sometimes they do. They, they you go off looking for greener pastures, and then they eventually come back. We've got a lot of people in our church that, that have been with us for one reason or other, have left and have come back. And the reason they're allowed to come back and and encouraged to come back and want to come back is because we did not go to war with them. Mm. And temptation sometimes is to to lash out. You know, you're mad because you feel a sense of hurt. You feel a sense of rejection. But the Bible says to bless them that curse you. Bless and curse none. So we're nice to people when they leave. So you're not going to look for a growing army of walking wounded in a healthy church. Yeah. They may leave, go somewhere else for whatever reason, but they're not going to be out there telling everybody how bad you did this and did that. Uh, The evidence is there. And then number 12, very important, no honorable exit. You cannot leave the group with your reputation intact. Yeah. Now, this is not just true of churches. The Soviet, when the Soviet Union was was an entity, they had a better constitution than, than America, because they had the advantage of reading ours, and they they made theirs better. Uh, and their constitution guaranteed freedom of emigration; you could leave. And Sharansky tried that. The nuclear physicist, they put him in a, a psychiatric ward and pumped him full of drugs. Why? Well, you must be crazy if you want to leave the workers' paradise. Hmm. So we put you. <laughs> Uh, what do they do in Muslim countries when you convert from Islam to Christianity? Take off their heads. They, they, they'll probably kill you if, and do some other things as well. You, you, no honorable exit. Yeah. Now, this no honorable exit, there's a practical reason for that. They know the reason you've really left because you saw what they were up to. You peeked behind the curtain. And they have to go with this persecution sensitivity, right? That, that ties in with that, too. Yeah. But, but here's the way that works. lady comes to the pastor. Pastor, I, I, I met Sister Jones over there in the supermarket and asked her why she left the church. And she said, well, she, she donated $500 to a missionary and earmarked a check, but the missionary never got it. It went to the general fund. That's a true story, by the way. Um, oh, Sister Jones, I told you that lady's a Jezebel. <laughs> Why are you listening to her? Yeah. And rather than just produce oh, the no, check. Here's, yeah, what we did. And yeah, here, here it goes. Yeah. They, they can't do that. So that's where the no honorable exit comes. And also it's a warning to those who remain. If you leave, One lady was told that if you leave this church, your reputation is going to be destroyed. Yeah. Told that by the minister. And that, And for people who are worried about that, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Mm-hmm. Well, who would be worried about that? If people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. Yeah. Abuse Broken victims. people. Yeah. Abuse victims. And, and there, there, there's a symbiotic relationship between abuse victims and spiritual abusers. And, and you're taking advantage of the people, the very people you ought to be making stronger. 
instead of making them weaker and breaking them down. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. Absolutely. He has a special heart for those people, and we're beating them up. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the way you talk, if they knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. That's not just abused people. Mm-hmm. That's everybody. Well, everybody, to a degree, every, uh, struggles has, <laughs> with, right, I mean, as human Self beings. Self-image, yeah. Right. right, I mean, what happens as soon as they... Uh, Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They cover themselves. Mm-hmm. They're they're ashamed of who they are, mm-hmm. right? Right out of the gates. And so we all have this peace. So I think you can you can get people wrapped up in it. And what they do probably is they don't leave, but they don't stay, right? They come Christmas and Easter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, right. I mean, I I could see that being a, 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 a response. They're not gung ho toward coming to the church, but. But when I had a little star next to number twelve because I now left, see that. I left at what I believe to be a toxic, abusive church, and it was so ironic that I, the guy who pointed out the fact that there was an alcoholic guy leading the ministry, that there was a guy who was abusing the heck out of. All kinds of people, anybody that challenged his authority, uh, all these unspoken rules, loyalty, persecution. It was, there, huh? it was all there, some to a greater or lesser degree. Right. Uh, power posturing, misuse of authority, manipulating through fear and guilt and secretive stuff, uh, just all of that stuff. He eventually was essentially... You know, I, I don't think he left voluntarily. I guess I'll okay. just say it that way. But his Given ex- the left foot of fellowship. Yes, the left foot of fellowship. <laughs> That's good. And he got a farewell. He got this nice dinner and a fancy place and all this stuff, and people encouraged to mm-hmm. do all these things for him, and come, people come and talk about him and all this other kind of stuff. And then me, the guy who brought up everything and talked about how there was this growing army of walking wounded, and you want to know why this church is suffering? Well, it's because of this behavior, only to find out that he was just a symptom of, actually, he was just a a layer down from where the real problems were, right? So it was actually the congregation itself that was full of these people that thought this way, that thought this was okay, and and essentially enabled him. I I was trying like crazy to have the honorable exit. Like I wasn't leaving. I was trying to hang in there and maybe it would all turn around and maybe, you know, the truth would finally come out and all this other kind of stuff. And finally I was like, I can't live in this dual reality tension anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to go or it's going to completely destroy me. I've been there. And so uh, I, I got out and – the more we talk about stuff like this, the more I hear from you and other people, the more I go, well, thank God I got out of there, mm-hmm. right? Because there's still moments where you go, man, there was so much ah, – the, the the possibilities were endless, you know, thinking about – which was why I went there in the first place. But then you keep coming back. You look at these things and you go, yeah, well, those possibilities were imagined. It was an illusion, it was things that I thought were possible, mm-hmm. but in the end were never really possible because of a lot of these characteristics. So mm-hmm. I appreciate the uh, the affirmation of just going through this That's personally. That's another thing. that uh, A lot of times people who will come to the class, 
um, they come thinking they were the they were crazy ones. They were wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and what this information does is it validates them. No, you were supposed to be upset about this. <laughs> <laughs> you were not being rebellious. Yes. You were supposed to question these things. Yep. That's what the Bereans did. They checked it out from the that's Paul's preaching they checked mm-hmm. out. If I if you need to check out Paul, you need to check out me and anybody else. That's right. And so there's a validation that comes, and that's why I love teaching this this course. I love teaching these principles. Because the the poor, tired, broken, wounded people, it gives them hope. It gives them a sense that, well, you know what? I wasn't the crazy one. And and then at that point, they may have to battle a little bit of resentment. Mm. Because when they see what all was done to them and why it should not have been done to them, especially by people claiming to represent Christ, then they're going to some, they have to do some forgiveness there. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are always two kinds of Christianity. Uh, I talked about this back in October. We had a series, Christianity and its Counterfeit. October's kind of Reformation month yeah, for us, right. Martin Luther. First. And it was uh, 500 years this past April from when Luther stood before Charles V mm. and uh, the papal delegation and, and basically said, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me, yeah. right? God help me. And... Uh, it, it got me thinking, I was having a conversation actually, there was a guy who's an atheist sitting in the chair you're in. Oh, okay. So he and I are just having, hey, look, we can disagree and be friends. Yes. And and it was that Sunday where it was the 500th anniversary of that moment, and I said something about it. It just dawned on me as we were talking, and there's these two kinds of Christianity. There's Christianity, and then there's religion in Christian clothes. Mm-hmm. Or or spiritually abusive religion yeah. when religion hurts all these things right and uh, so it's not just because somebody slaps Christian on something doesn't necessarily make it good and just because somebody says something about Jesus or uses the name Jesus right he actually says many will come in my name mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. is Matthew twenty four right yep. Yep. so so it's not just like oh Jesus okay I can feel warm and fuzzy and safe. No, it's you have to, like you said, be discerning. Uh, be discerning. You have to uh, ask, inquire, and search out. You you have to search the scriptures. This is not something you can just walk around and just think that everything's going to be okay. Not even within the same denomination, right? If you feel like, oh, I'm I'm like our denomination is the LCMS, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You can't just walk into another Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church and act like these things are not going to ever happen, mm-hmm. right? Well, anyway, charismatic, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, all of, all all of, of it's, it, wherever these these things are allowed in, you'll you'll find them straight across every denomination. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you, brother David, uh, David Rodriguez, pastor at Christian Fellowship Church down in. Marrera, Louisiana, Marrera, West Louisiana. Bank of New Orleans. And also president of Koinonia Bible College, mm-hmm. uh, where this course is offered. And you can actually host a course anytime if you want to do it over a weekend, I think. Yeah, uh, we do a do, seminar, yeah. Do a seminar. We do the whole course, but we can do a, a six-hour seminar or uh, any length of time that a person wants. So they want to come in and do a two, three days on it, we can do that. And you offer this for uh, through your quarters system. You have ten week quarters. I yeah, think. in the Bible College, it's it's ten weeks of class. Okay, 
So so there's this is just one sliver of the topics that you'll talk about. Yes. And you won't have somebody like me asking questions and interrupting and redirecting <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So it won't take quite as long as uh, maybe what we did here today. But I'm hoping we get a chance to look at some more of these things, keep this conversation going, and, and bring some hope and healing to a yes. lot of people. So. God bless you, brother, and uh, God, God bless you. you if you've uh, stuck around and listened to all of this. I hope you hope you got some really big, important nuggets here. Hopefully, you're getting some affirmation and validation. Uh, you, if you have rejected Christianity for some of these reasons, it's not Christianity you've rejected. It's a a false form of it. It's religion. It's toxic. Uh, family systems with Christian clothes on. So uh, hang in there, tune in again as we dig a little bit more into uh, who Jesus is. That's why this is Sweet Jesus. So uh, remember, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not all leaders, not all churches, but the Lord is good. Uh, We know that uh, because we know Jesus. God bless you. I hope to catch up with you real soon. See ya. Bye-bye.